Wow. You have taught this Baptist preacher who's pretty formal, um, who would stand behind this pulpit that's wooden and bigger than that and all of that good stuff, how to worship today. So thank you. Thank you for leading me and, and helping me in, in my walk with Jesus. Yeah. Fuller Youth Institute is a center of Fuller Theological Seminary uh, located in Pasadena, California. And we are a, a research center. Um, we believe that young people will change the world. We believe that. But they need us adults to help them and to equip them to do that. And so we do research on youth and young adults, and we try to take that research and utilize it and turn it into resources and training that churches can use to help uh, to support and undergird what's already happening in the church. Eric, you asked me um, right before the worship started this morning, and you said, well, you can observe us and tell me what we could do better. I'm not sure. Because what I saw was the church. What I saw were young people coming and worshiping together, young and old alike. What I saw were, were words of uh, healing and, and, and prayers being prayed in the corners and words of encouragement and prophecy being spoken in the back. I saw the church being the church. And so I'm not sure how much I can tell you that would be better. But let's see if God can. Let's see if God can. So if you have your Bibles with you by chance, we'd love for you to turn um, in your Bibles or turn in your phones, that's okay with me too, to Luke chapter 10. For those of you that have been in the church, this will be a familiar passage to you. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place uh, and saw him, passed by 
on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy in him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We give God thanks for his word this morning. Amen. 13-year-old Steve stayed after worship one day to ask his pastor this pressing question. He said, Pastor, if I lift my finger like this, does God know that I'm about to lift my finger like this before I even do it? And the pastor looked at him and he said, yes, Steve, God knows all things. God will know that you were about to lift your finger even before you did it. Steve then reached into his back pocket and he pulled out a piece of paper and he unfolded it and he showed his pastor this. Well, it's not wanting to go. He showed his pastor this picture of a Life magazine. For those of you that are a bit older, you remember those, right? A picture of Life magazine of two African children with distended stomachs from starvation. And he said, well, does God know what's about to happen to these two kids? And the pastor looked at Steve and said, Steve, I know you don't understand but yes, God knows even what's going to happen to these two kids. Well, Steve wasn't quite satisfied with that answer that day. Steve didn't really like the answer that his pastor gave him. Because you see, beyond the difficult theological questions that Steve was really asking right here, what Steve just wanted his pastor to do was say, Hey, Steve, I know you're going through some hard times. Hey, Steve, I know that things are hard right now. I know that you're experiencing a lot of pain. I know that you're being bullied at school. I know that your family is dealing with some financial issues. And I know that you don't understand why you were given up for adoption. Steve, I know that you're going through a hard time, but that's not what he heard from his pastor that day. And Steve walked out of that sanctuary, never to enter into another Christian service again. You all might have heard of this Steve. His name is Steve Jobs. You see, Steve was dealing with a lot of stuff in his own life. 
He wanted to be understood and he wanted to understand the mysteries of faith, the hard theological questions that he was asking. He wanted to understand that. And I really don't blame the pastor. I don't think it was the pastor's sole purpose or sole job of answering Steve's question just right. I don't think that's what drove Steve out of church that day, never to return again. But I wonder. I wonder if Steve was part of a church like this where he was being prayed over, where he was being spoken of of words of encouragement time and time again. I wonder if Steve would have had caring Christian adults in that church that would walk with him and say, Steve, we love you. We care about you. We want the very best for you. And we want a journey with you. We can't solve all of your problems for you. Only God can but we want to walk with you as you go through those valleys of the shadow of death. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what Steve might have been able to do if he worked for the kingdom of God with his brilliant gifts and talents that he had. I wonder what life could have been like. I wonder how our lives would be different today because of what God would have done with him and through him. You know, in today's text, we find a a similar story in some ways. We find a familiar text. Often this parable is taught with this general moral lesson that if you see somebody in the ditch, the right Christian thing to do, the right moral thing to do is to go help that person. Right? We also know the, the, the theological depth that's in this passage, knowing that those who were the professional religious leaders would walk on the other side. And those who were the despised, who were hated by the Jews, the Samaritans, It was the actual Samaritan who would come alongside and say, I see you, and I see your pain, and I'm going to help you. To bandage the wounds, to take them to the end, and and not to just leave them there, that, hey, I've got to go do what I need to do, but here's some money, and I will come back to check on him again. You know, this passage, we've got to put it in the right context, though, because we find it in the context. What happens right before Jesus shares this parable is important right here. And here's what's happening, right? It's the teacher of the law or the lawyer in that case who stands up not because he loves Jesus, right? He stands up trying to trap Jesus, to get Jesus to say something wrong so that he can get others to come and arrest Jesus. So here he goes and says, well, Jesus, probably a little snarky, right? He says, Jesus, well, what does it really take to receive eternal life? And Jesus being Jesus, because he always answers a question with a what? 
a question, right? He says, well, what do you think? And of course, the lawyer who has been in the church, who's been part of the religious community says, well, yeah, to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor in the same way. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. Now go and do that. But the lawyer, being a good lawyer in this case, says, well, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor, God? Who is my neighbor, Jesus? And on the surface, the lawyer's question and Jesus' answer with the parable might not match up if we just look at it on the surface. But don't think for a second that Jesus didn't understand what the lawyer was really asking right here, all right? His neighbors are, for, for, the, for the lawyer, his neighbors were only the other Jews. The only, the other Jews that were like him. But for Jesus, for Jesus, Jesus' neighbor was me and you, all of us. Jews and Gentiles, all those who would say yes to him, and those who may not even say yes to Jesus, that we were all his neighbor. But going even a little deeper, Jesus' challenge to the lawyer and to all of the Jews is to see the other, the other like the hated Samaritan for them as their neighbor. You see, not for their own sake in this case. I mean, not for the neighbor's sake in this case, because the Samaritans were going to be cared for by Jesus. But what Jesus wanted was for the Jews to understand that it was just not about them. That life wasn't just about them. That the great promise wasn't just for them but it was for everyone. Now, why do I bring up this passage today? We are trying to focus on young people. We often read this text thinking, hey, we don't need to be like the religious leaders, and we need to be more like the Samaritan and help those who are in need, right? And that's the perspective that we typically look at this passage from. But today, I want us to look at this passage from the perspective of the person lying half dead on the side of the road. We never talk about that person. And what I want to argue or help us to understand today is that maybe our young people is that person. Lying there. Wanting help, needing help, desiring for help, calling out for help, and watching people walk by. Watching people walk by. So if you'll give me a little bit of latitude today, let me make the case for this. Right? Let me make the case for this. I asked the group that was here yesterday that 
that to share the labels that we often hear about young people. And they gave me the words that I always hear. They're lazy, they're privileged, they're entitled. They're always stuck to their phones. Young people, we really don't think that about you. There's other young people outside of this building, <laughs> right? But thankfully, we also heard the, the beautiful words of gifted and talented, how justice motivated that this generation really is, how courageous they are. And so we talked about what is it going to take for us to really have love and care for them. Here's one thing that I want to share is that life isn't quite like what it used to be. It just isn't, right? It had nothing to do with, with COVID. COVID really just sped things up for everyone. Right? All of this was happening pre-COVID. So we just can't blame everything on that. Right? And what we're finding is that our young people, it's taking longer for them to go from adolescence to adulthood. For many of us who are 50 and over, um, I'm almost there. And, and, <laughs> and so for those of us that are close to those numbers, well, we were expected to be an adult when we turned 18, right? We were told we were an adult. We were expected to be an adult. We were told, hey, you're cut off from our financial commitments from this point forward. Uh, <laughs> and you had to figure it out, right? We had to figure it out as adults. We could be drafted. We could join the army. We could... Uh, we could do a lot of things that our young people that we know are not ready to quite do just yet. So our young people, are, it's taking them a little bit longer for them to go from adolescence to adulthood. We call that the extended adolescent period. The time it takes for today's teenagers and young adults to mature into full adulthood. And in some sense, their journey toward adulthood has sped up because they see things, they know things, they, they can look up things that only adults really, or we probably don't even need to see. But yet they have access to it. They have access to the whole world right in their pocket. And so we can be, thanks Steve Jobs, uh, <laughs> But we could be angry about that. We could be sorry about that. But the fact of the matter is that's what's happening. And the, but the truth of the matter is that there, the path to adulthood is just much longer than what it used to be. And why is that happening? In our world, it used to be like this, right? High school, college, job, marriage, kids... You can't mess up that order, especially on the back end, right? And young people, we don't want you to have to do that. 
But the reality is that it looks much more like this for young people today. Right? It's all over the place. When it used to be very linear like this, today's world is much more like this. Then our young people are just going, well, what do I do? What am I supposed to do? And man, it looks good. It looks like we've got lots of options, right? But those options come with a lot of anxiety and worry. And there's a lot of reasons for that, right? Let me share just a few. Think about it. Um, the amount of, uh, amount of education that it now requires for young people to compete in this marketplace, right? That, that our young people are expected to go to college, right? Um, and, and most of the time, uh, a four-year degree may not even be enough. That a master's degree, that a, that a PhD or a doctorate degree is also needed in the field that they may want to go in. And now they're 24, 25, 26 years of age even before they finish schooling. And then on top of that, they may, they may even get out of having with a doctorate degree and have to go do an internship, right, before they can even get started in their actual field. They may have to, uh, because of that, they may have to uh, have a roommate and, and, and cobble together a bunch of part-time jobs, this thing that we call now the gig economy, right? It's all the side gigs that we've got to do to just pull it together to make it, to have roommates or to have to come back home and to live back home. Parents, you may love it when your students come back home to live, but guess what? They may not. <laughs> they may not because for them, it's a symbol, not because they don't love you, parents, right? But it's a symbol that something didn't go right. It's a symbol that something didn't go quite right, the way that we have taught them the way it's supposed to be, right? We've told them time and time again the way it's supposed to be is that you graduate high school, you go off to college, and off you go. And when things just don't go quite as well, our young people are thinking, Hmm, what's wrong with me? What did I not do right? And then on top of that, we know that what happens is, well, our young people are waiting a little bit longer than, to get married than, than many of us did, adults. The average age of, of uh, marriage back in 1970 was 21. 21 years of age. Many of you probably got married at 18, 19, or even 17. Right? The average age of marriage today for women is 28. For men, it's 30. The average age of having your first child uh, for women was, was back in 1970 at the age of 21 also. And now that average age is 27. That's the average age, or 28 almost. And then the median age is really 30. For those of you that's 
going back to the math class, right? Average is across, you know, you put all those numbers together and you divide it by the number of the numbers you got. The median is, that's the middle part, right? Half of them get married over the age of 30 and half of them get married under the age of 30. And back when we thought, hey, you know, they'll go off to school and they'll just go do their thing like I did. And they'll come back when they get married and start having kids, which used to be a span of four years. Now that span is 12, 15 years. And imagine what happens in that span of 12 to 15 years. What happens when we're not walking with Jesus in that time? And how difficult it might be to say, hey, you know, I've been living this way for 15 years. I don't know if I can go back. Just don't know if I can go back. It's also assumed that that we'll just simply do the do the simple route of this, right? High school, college, job, marriage, and kids. And when it's difficult and when it's not quite like that, where do we turn? Where do we turn when life looks like this in so many ways? Consider this. If you're in your early 30s, any of you in your early 30s? Yeah? Yep. Um, (laughs) Any one of you want to be in your early 30s? Uh, (laughs) Consider yourself in that. (laughs) Um, If you're in your, wow, called out in front of everybody. Uh, (laughs) Shh. (laughs) if you're in your early 30s it's more than likely if you went off to college that you entered into college during the great recession right 2008 somewhere thereabouts you graduated from college and 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 there you found no jobs because the market was terrible right and then and then so you had to kind of cobble together uh, jobs of, of working from, you know, part-time, 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 two or three or four jobs just to make it, just to make ends meet. Or the other option was, well, let's just keep going to school because <laughs> why not, right? And unfortunately, what that also meant was more debt and more debt and more debt that they were piling upon. Now, our young people are dealing with the impacts of the pandemic. Over the last two and a half years, we know and we've heard the mental health challenges that face our young people. The mental health challenges are just overwhelming for our young people. It's been hard for every age group, right? It's been hard for all of us. It's been hard for seniors. It's been hard for uh, those who are working, those who are raising kids. Parents, bless you during this time. Bless you. But it's also been really, really difficult for our young people. 
especially when it comes to mental health. Over this time, diagnosed anxiety in teenagers has tripled from 6.5% to 24.3%. Diagnosed depression has almost quadrupled from 6.5% to 25%. Think about it, folks. That means one out of every four young people are either dealing with anxiety or depression or both. One out of every four. And that's just the diagnosed ones, right? We're not even talking about those who haven't gone to be diagnosed, who are dealing with anxiety and depression. Gosh, there are so many more reasons that we don't have time to mention in worship, but, but it all points to the fact that the world that many of us grew up in is not the world that they're growing up in, right? How many of us would like to be a teenager today, adults? Any of us? Any of us? Yeah. Rarely do I see a hand up on that, right? Not many of us or any of us want to be a teenager today because the world that we've handed to our teenagers, I say we as a collective we, is not a world that is for the faint of heart. And so, gosh, I wouldn't want to be a teenager today. For young people, as they progress into adulthood, They're asking these three questions. Now, these three questions are questions that we're all asking, right? Uh, As adults, we're asking these questions. When we graduate high school or graduate college, we're asking these questions. When we um, find a new job, we have to ask these questions. Uh, When we get married, we ask these questions. Uh, When we we retire uh, from our jobs, we are asking these questions. If we have to move to a new town, we're asking these three questions. When we lose our spouse, we are also asking these questions. Because who am I now? Where do I fit now? And what difference can I make? But as adults, we have an easier way of kind of processing these questions because we have a bit of maturity. We have a bit of life experience with us that's going to help us to answer these questions. So we can kind of put them in the back of our minds and say, yeah, I know I'm, I'm working on these questions, but but I can do that as I live my life. But for young people, these three questions, who am I, where do I fit, how will my life matter, are always at the forefront of their minds, always asking those questions. And all the other different questions that are layered underneath those three big questions are questions that they're dealing with time and time again, constantly, over and over, day after day, they're having to do that. And on top of that, they're having to answer those questions with less adult relational support than they've ever had before. Now, I would say that that young people, you have a wealth of relational support in this church. And we're going to talk about why that's important in just a second. 
but for many in the community, for many in other places, they have less adults who care about them as people and not what maybe the young people can do for the adults, right? To not have the agenda of the adult. Think about it, before the Industrial Revolution, we were much more of an agrarian society, and so, and so we, we stayed with our families, right? We didn't move to the big city to live, to find a job and do that. We stayed with our families. We lived with our grandparents on either side. We had our aunts and uncles. We had our cousins. All of that, for good or for bad, they were all around us. And we had adults in our lives that did care about us. But for many now, it's not always the case. Their grandparents may live across the country. Their grandparents, their, their cousins or their aunts and uncles aren't around them. And the adults are hard to find. And so when the young people are, are, are needing to answer these questions, oftentimes they might go to the internet because what we find in the internet is always true, right? Um, <laughs> but, but then they also might turn to each other. And when they turn to each other, oftentimes they are often finding the wrong answers together. And so they, they answer these questions with this idea of, well, who am I? And they answer it with, they answer it with, I am what? others expect me to be. I am what um, others tell me I am. I am what fill in the blank. I'm not just good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not athletic enough. Fill in the blank, right? And then the, the question of where do I fit, I only fit if I can do something for other people, that it's always conditional, that I only fit if, if I feel safe to be me, if we share an activity together, whether it's band or sports or whatever it may be, and then how will my life matter? I matter when I matter when I just follow a script. Or they would answer it this way, I matter when I'm helping others, because this generation wants to and loves to serve others. They may not always say it, or they may not do that at home as much as you might like. But they do, they want to serve others along the way. But here's the thing, right? In the church, we have the better answers, don't we? In the church, we know that it is the Jesus-centered answers. That when we say that, when they ask the question, who am I? We need to be telling them, hey, you're just enough. Not because you have to earn it. Not because you have to uh, do something for it. But just because of what Jesus has already done. You're enough. You're just enough. So young people, you are enough. 
So when things are hard and you're asking that question, who am I? You're just enough. Where do I fit? Body of Christ, they fit with us, right? But for so long, we have just pushed them to the side and said, hey, youth group, just go over here. And us adults will just do our thing over here, right? For so long, we've done that in the Big C Church. But young people, you belong in the body of Christ. You belong with God's people right here. And how will your life matter? Your life matters because God has a plan. Your life matters because God is continually inviting you into God's greater story. That God's story just doesn't stop when you become a follower of Jesus. Jesus wants you to use your talents and your gifts to impact God's kingdom. We pray it together in the Lord's Prayer that we, that we, we pray that God's kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to participate in that. We get to participate in the fact that God invites us into his greater story. So we don't have to answer these questions with, with the thought that, that it's not, that we're not enough. Or that we don't know where we fit. Or we don't know how our lives will really matter. Because we know that with God that these answers have been already answered or these questions have already been answered for us. So church, adults in the church, we might consider that our young people are those who have been beaten and left to the side. So how are we going to respond? How will we respond? Will we be like the religious leaders Maybe have some sympathy and say, no, good luck. Where are we going to be like the Samaritans? Who's going to get in the ditch? Who's going to get dirty by picking that person up? We're going to put them on our own donkeys and take them to a place where they can be safe. Who will we be? So let me share just a couple of things that, that we might want to think about in how we're going to make a difference in the lives of our young people. So adults, I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> we need to first work on developing what we refer to as empathy. Empathy is not sympathy. Our young people do not want your sympathy at all. Okay? But they want empathy. The sense of walking with, sense of journeying with, sense of sitting on the steps and just saying, hey, what's going on? How is life going? Hey, I care about you. Not for what you can do, not for what you can accomplish. I just care about you. Sitting on the curb. And then the last two words, right, young people, right, not judging because who wants to be judged none of us in this room wants to be judged but especially for young people 
Why? Because they've been judged time and time again. Brene Brown, who's a psychologist and sociologist, would say that empathy fuels connection, but sympathy drives disconnection. So please don't feel sympathetic toward our young people. Have empathy with our young people. Empathize with them. Have the desire to walk with them. They're looking for adults who will invest in them. They're hungry for adults to say, hey, I care about you. I want to be a part of your life. So they're looking for adults. They're desiring that. Adults, we can't assume, we can't assume that we know what it's like to be their age anymore. Yeah, we went through our teenage years, but we went through it a whole different time. And so we can't assume we know what it's like, so don't try to fix the things that they're going through. Just walk with, to journey with, to say, hey, I don't know what it's like, but I want to know. I care. I want to help you. I want to point you to Jesus and to say, Jesus loves you. I can't fix it, but Jesus can. So adults, when's the last time you had a deep conversation with a teenager or with a young adult. Not just, hey, how's it going? But a deep conversation of, hey, what's going on? So if they don't show up in your calendars, maybe that's one thing you can take away this morning is that they show up in your calendars at some point. Second, we should consider how we can apply this principle. In the church, most of the time, we think if we had one adult for five young people, uh, when we go off on a trip, that we're doing really well, we can make sure that young people aren't going to die and they're going to come back safe uh, and not break anything along the way, or not many things anyways, along the way, right? That's what we have been shooting for in the church. But what I'm asking us to consider is that now we need to flip that number around. That we need five caring Christian adults for every young person. We need five caring Christian adults for every young person. Now, you can be a caring Christian adult for more than one, right, adults? But every young person needs at least five. And it should be the mission of this church that, that in this church, every young person that's here is going to have at least five caring Christian adults. And when I say five caring Christian adults, here's what I mean. It's not just, hey, I know your name, and I know where you go to school, and I might know what you're interested in. It's deeper than that. We need adults to know their hopes and dreams and their joys and their pains. And adults, we don't live in a time in which they're just going to share that with you automatically. The only way that they're going to share their joys and their pains with you is if they trust you. And the only way that they're going to trust you is, they, is that we earn that trust from them, that we're consistent 
that we're persistent, that we're always asking, that we're always journeying with, we're always showing empathy with our young people. And they know that this person's not going to go away. This person's going to be here and they're going to keep asking. Maybe they're for real. Maybe they really do care about me. And here's the beauty of this. It doesn't matter what age you are today, what stage of life you're in, you can invest in at least one person's, one young person's life and probably more than that. You can be in your 90s or you can be in your 80s, you can be in your 70s or, or younger, whatever age might be. I don't care how busy you are, you need to make sure that you're investing in at least one young person's life. Right? Because if we, if we don't have time for that, then maybe we need to reprioritize some things in our lives. We need to develop a five-to-one ratio. One of our first research projects that we did at Fuller Youth Institute resulted in a book called Sticky Faith. And in that Sticky Faith research, what we did was we tracked 500 high school students who graduated from high school from a church youth group ministry. So these aren't young people just out there, but these were young people who were in the church while they were in high school. And we tracked them as they went off to college or went off to their next step. And, and what we found was that about half of them stopped following Jesus. Stop caring about reading scripture and praying and being part of a fellowship and, and what we refer to as shelving their faith. And these are, again, just any kind of students. We're talking about the students that we would put up here uh, on, on, on Youth Sunday and say, hey, these are the best of our students and we love them and we care about them. And half of them are walking away. Half of them are walking away from Jesus. And so in this book, we talked a lot about the idea of of we need a sticky gospel. We need a gospel that just isn't just on the surface, but we need depth in how we understand who Jesus is and how we follow Jesus. So so young people are interested in being (laughs) not just entertained, but they want to know what it means to follow Jesus. They need a sticky identity. They need to understand who am I? I'm a son and daughter of Jesus who loves us, right? They need, they need opportunities to serve and to, and to work out their desire to, to help and change the world, that, to, to figure out what, what is that they want to do and do that out in our community. And in this research, we're also pointed to the fact that young people need sticky faith conversations and sticky web of relationships in their lives. And that's where this five-to-one idea comes from. The studies have shown that when young people have at least five caring Christian adults in their lives, that they're more likely to hold on to their faith into their adulthood. Because remember what our goal is at church, right? It's not how many young people can we gather in this room for Sunday night or Sunday morning. That's not the goal. Give me a little money and we can gather a crowd. (laughs) We can gather a crowd all day long. But that's not the goal of the church, is it? 
The goal of the church is helping our young people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to be a lifelong follower of Jesus, not just for a short period of time, but for a lifetime. For a lifetime. So we've got to do whatever it takes. I know that's hard. (laughs) Those words are really hard for a church to to live out. That if we're going to be committed to our young people, we've got to say, we're going to do whatever it takes, wherever God is leading us, to say yes to that, to help our, to help our young people. So parents, here's what you need to do today. If you're a parent of a teenager or a young adult, The conversation that you need to have at lunch today is, hey, can you, do you have five adults that you can go to? When you can't share something with me, first of all, you need to say, whatever's going on in your life, your mom mom and dad, we love you. You can tell us anything. You can tell us anything. We may not like it, but you can tell us and we'll deal with it. But you need to also ask, hey, if you can't tell me something right away, do you have at least five adults in your life that you can go to to talk about that? Do you have a coach? Do you have a teacher? Do you have people in this church that you can go talk to that you have enough trust with to say, hey, here's what I'm dealing with, and I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And so that's the conversation you need to have at lunch today. And if they can't tell you five names, then your follow-up question is, well, who is someone that you might want to get to know better? Who is someone in the church that you might want to get to know better? Who's someone that you admire and want to spend some time with? And hopefully they'll be able to give you a few names. And here's what you do next, parents. Parents, you need to go to that person, whoever that adult is that they named. And you got to say, hey, I had my conversation with my, my teenager, and, and, and she named you as someone that she'd like to get to know better. Would you take some time to get to know her better? Can you take her to coffee? Can you take her to lunch? Can you spend some time with her and get to know her better? I don't know of a single adult that if you walked up to and said that and asked that, that they would say no. Would any of you say no to that? I doubt it. Right? So parents, that's your, that's your homework today. That's your takeaway from today's message is that you need to have that conversation. Young people, Listen to me, please. God loves you. I don't care what's going on all around you in your life. Just know that God loves you. And the people of this church love you also. It doesn't matter what is happening in your life. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less And my guess is there's nothing you can really do to make God 
to, make, to help these folks to love you anymore. They love you. So just know that. Know that. And know that they're here to help you in this journey. It's hard. But know that they love you greatly. Adults. Adults, your role is, who can I invest in? Who needs someone in their lives? And you need to be asking, who can I invest in today? To be thinking, who's God calling you to be one of the five for? Where is the Spirit leading you? Who is the Spirit leading you to? And say yes to that. One young person that in our research gave this testimony. <laughs> he said, you know, this woman at church, um, she's continuously reached out to me. She sent me a note the other day, <laughs> like an actual handwritten note, because we don't ever do that anymore. Uh, like a handwritten note that said, hey, I'm glad we're getting to know each other. I'm happy you're in my life, and I can't wait to get to know you more in ministry and just as friends. And here's how the young person responded. The young person said, it was unnecessary. It was outrageous. But it was so welcomed. When we work together, and we've got to work together, We've got to work together as this church body, and we've got to work together as the Big C Church. We've got to work together to pursue our younger generation because they're leaving the church in droves. The latest research has shown that over a million young people are leaving the faith every year. Every year. Young people like Steve Jobs. Young people like in this room. Young people out there. So what will we do? Are we going to help our young people or are we going to walk away or just walk by? May God lead you to continue to love and care for young people as you have been doing for so long. But may it be so here at New Covenant. May it be so. Give thanks to God.